0: And welcome back to Father Spitzer's Universe each week at the busy intersection where faith and reason intersect. I'm Doug Keck, the gatekeeper here at the mothership where it all began with Mother Angelica back in 1981. And emailing your questions to spitzersuniverse at EWTN.com is what drives this program. So make sure you do that. Check out all of Father Spitzer's websites as well, Magis Center and the Credible Catholic and also, PurposefulUniverse.com, each unique and different. And Father Spitzer's Universe is available not only on our on-demand, but also as a podcast on EW10's Podcast Central. See it on your screen there. You may not be familiar. Go to EW10.com forward slash radio. Click on Podcast. You can listen to Mother Angelica, Father Spitzer, all your other favorite programs when you want. It's all free on EW10's Podcast Central. The best of EW10 and the best of the rest. So check it out. And also, don't forget our topic, The Deadly Sins. We started talking about vanity. We will continue on that theme, and we will finally get to Sunset Boulevard. And from Father's Book, Christ (laughs) vs. Satan in Our Daily Lives, that's where it's from. Of course, the book is available through our religious catalog. We assume you're looking to buy additional copies because you certainly bought one already. And the Book of the Month for November, (laughs) Women Made New, Reflections on Adversity, Transformation, and Healing by Kristalina Everett, and a popular host on EWTN. Uh, welcome, Father Spitzer. Great to see you again, and if you'll uh, kick us off with a prayer, that'd be great. You bet.
1: In name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to amen. us, the blessing especially of this ministry and our ability to serve in it send your Holy Spirit down upon us this day, Doug, myself, our whole audience, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. We ask all of these things through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary's seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for
0: us. us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Very good. And yes, uh, a couple of articles we'll get to before we get to our viewer questions here. One from about a couple of weeks ago uh, came out, Mm -hmm. and um, it's a new study of the priesthood uh, that should be received as a wake-up call. Catholic World Report published it. and a couple mm-hmm. of things jumped out. They, they have one headline, when the Chancery office phone number pops on a priest's phone, he freezes in fear. Hopefully you have, haven't had that problem in your own experience, okay? But, no, uh,
1: I, <laughs> no, I, I haven't. These, uh, these are
0: some things that I guess the priests have indicated were maybe concerns for them at times, so uh, it's, it's a little bit on the uh, yeah. more negative side of being a priest. 100 positive letters in a priest's file count for little or nothing against one negative letter, especially if that letter comes from a woman. It's an interesting story in this particular survey that people yeah. find that doesn't take a lot to be given a hard time. Uh, octogenarian dissenting parishioners all too often find strong chancery support when they grouse about the content of a young priest preaching uh, or how he celebrates. So that's uh, young priests mm-hmm. find that. The generation gap between the oldest priest and the youngest often makes rectory life uh, difficult for both of them. Uh, so, you know, you've got that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I would think, you know, you probably you probably don't even have that as much because you have so many cases where you don't even have more than one priest in a particular parish, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, no. In fact, um, you know, uh, we the Spitzer Center actually has a, uh, um, you know, a whole area that we do where we try to Uh, look at the culture Mm -hmm. um, of, uh, you know, the diocesan culture for priesthood um, in uh, various dioceses and try to help uh, find ways. We we have a a cultural inventory um, for not only the priests but the deacons and the seminarians as well, and we try to Mm -hmm. uh, look at the areas where there's a a pretty big gap between the ideal and the real and trying to find realistic ways of uh, bridging those gaps. And uh, I can say that uh, most of the findings that are there uh, from that study, that I believe it was a joint study between Gallup and uh, CARA, mm-hmm. the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, that um, uh, that did find that, you know, there's um, uh, difficulty, uh, you know, since the time of the Dallas Accord, Um, oftentimes priests feel themselves sometimes at odds with their bishop and they feel like maybe they're all alone in the world they're not going to get any support uh, from the bishop and that did come out Um, I think uh, um, many of the bishops as you can see from the data Mm -hmm. were uh, obviously would have been surprised to hear that finding uh, because they did think they would offer support uh, but the priest did not get an indication of that, so I think a lot of the issues that mm-hmm. are there are communication issues, um, or the bishop needs to come out and say, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be supportive of you," but uh, oh yeah, the uh, the fear factor, mm. uh, you know, um, being a diocesan priest, well, also a religious priest. Uh, this one was mostly diocesan priest, but the fear factor of being mm. a diocesan priest, I mean, of any kind of negative, you know. Uh, accusation right. or anything of that nature. I mean, uh, uh, you are going you're going to have uh, the weight of a lot of people against you from the very beginning. Right. Uh, that's the perception uh, of the typical priest that I've, you know I am uh, one of them put it this way, I'm guilty until proven innocent. I know that's the way it will be. Right. So yeah, there the fear factor has shot up right. hugely um, since the Dallas Accords and it's not you know uh, at some point it, it becomes uh... you know kind of rough uh, for those priests i think uh, because of the fear factor uh... you know there's probably some mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, extra depression anxiety that's right also part of that uh, uh... that factor a lot of people just say i live a good life and uh, i'm not gonna worry about it um, but uh, you, you can't help as one one of the respondents said looking over both shoulders all the time right and so uh... So uh, uh, it's out there. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, um, um, uh, what can you do? I mean, uh, uh, the scandals, uh, you know, which needed to be dealt with, had to be dealt with. I I think the Dallas Accords tried to do it fairly. Um, You know, the idea now, though, I think uh, the message of of those polls is that there's got to be some greater communication, uh, you know, between bishops and priests so that the priests really understand how supportive the bishop wants to be of them and I think bishops in general do want to be mm. supportive um, but uh, you know like I said right. there's apparently according to that poll the, the fear factor needs to be tempered right. uh, if we're going to you know
0: continue to have a healthy priesthood. Right, oh, here's another point that, that they made in this and let's see what your thoughts on this one one result of all of this is that priests are not necessarily recruiting replacements for themselves And most interesting, not a few devout parents who would have prayed for years to have a priest son now actively discourage their boys because they don't want them to experience what they have come to know so many priests now experience. Your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think it is true. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't uh, heard those comments from parents or heard those comments from guys who are thinking of entering the seminary, who were actively being dissuaded by their parents? Mm. Uh, I, I wouldn't believe it, mm. um, you know. And uh, I mean, my mom was very supportive of my vocation, uh, not so much my dad, dad honestly. Right, right. Uh, but uh, but um, but uh, uh, I can just you know see uh, you know somebody uh, now if I had been you know I was a graduate from college Mm -hmm. so you know um, I had quite a bit of autonomy and independence so uh, but I can just see someone who's um, between high school and college and there's still some dioceses that admit um, you know um, just after high school uh, kids into the minor seminary major seminary um, I think it'd be very hard uh, you know to mention that to your parents and get a absolute negative rebuttal mm. um, you know even to the point of you know uh, uh, practically disowning you uh, if you went ahead and did that um, that is out there right? and uh, and so uh, you know I know it's out there I've heard kids talk about it you right. know uh, prospective seminarians talk about it right. uh, and I think a lot of these guys who have gone ahead and gone into the seminary have really Uh, felt uh, a great deal of alienation, uh, not only from their parents, but also from friends and people like that.
0: It's also another factor Mm -hmm. you think, not only obviously the cultural issues and the scandal, but also the fact that, you know, 50 years ago you were dealing with Catholic families who might have had five or six kids. And today you're talking about families with one kid or two kids. And so to some degree, Mm -hmm. you don't have the ones available for the Lord like the old Irish would kind of think in terms of service, you know, because you still had five or six others who were going to carry on the family business or something. It's like you've got one or two and that's it. And if you want grandchildren, you know what I mean, kind of a thing or somebody Mm -hmm. to succeed you in your business, uh, this person going into religious Mm -hmm. life is not helpful in that way
1: no no that's very true and uh, you know I think all uh, you know all of those factors are are very true the smaller Mm -hmm. family sizes definitely have a lot to do with it but there is a great deal of uh, you know uh, secular cultural pressure uh, that's uh, contrary to priests I uh, you know I have to say you know a lot of some of my friends said oh if I'm, if I'm not on priestly duties, I, I, I don't wear my clerics. Mm. I just said, I refuse to do this. I am not going to bend to the secular culture. I mean, if somebody wants to spit, you know, they can spit on me. I, I don't care. Right. You know, I really don't care. I mean, these are all, uh, you know, I'm an individual priest. You know, it's, I'm trying to do what I do, uh, you know, and I'm responsible for what I do. And if you want to tar and feather me with a brush uh, that may right. pertain to 2% of the priesthood, um, but you, you want to uh, go ahead and, and uh, you know, tar and feather me with that brush, go ahead. Right. Uh, but that's your invalid generalization. Uh, you know, I'm going to continue to be who I am, and I'll and wear my clerics. And so, uh, right. you know, and now, of course, the whole anti-clericalism deal everything else is going overboard mm-hmm. so that now, you know, we basically have to become lay people in order not to be clerical. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, where, where do we stop this? You know, right. it, it's, I don't know.
0: Right. Yeah. It always reminds me of the time when years ago, uh, there was problems with a, I think it was the district attorney, was it attorney general in New York, Elliot Spitzer, and there were headlines that talked about oh, yeah. issues with Spitzer, <laughs> and you were telling me how. Yeah. People would see the newspaper headlines and you'd try and say, Not me, it's not me. That's not the Spitzer <laughs> not they're talking me. about, right?
1: <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, uh, by the time uh, uh, Elliot uh, was getting, uh, as they say, uh, Uh, Definitely exposed. Right. Um, Everybody pretty much knew he was the governor of New York, so I I didn't have to worry anymore. But, but for a second there, you know, people would open the what? Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) He was client
0: number nine, as I recall, supposedly when it came out later. So anyway, uh, that's right. (laughs) Here's here's another story before we get to the questions, and this is kind of interesting. I haven't had a chance to talk to our friends. Uh, in Ireland and even Northern Ireland, but in a historic shift, Catholics Mm -hmm. now outnumber Protestants in Northern Ireland. Uh, The proportion of the resident population, which is either Catholic or brought up Catholic now, is 45.7% compared to 43.48% Protestant. And the census that was done Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, well, actually uh, 11 years ago, it was uh, 45 Mm -hmm. Catholic and 48 uh, so the Catholic is slightly higher, and the Protestants has gone down by about 5%. So, at least according to this study, mm-hmm. there's actually technically more people who self-identify as Catholic now in Northern Ireland than there are Protestants. And, of course, the whole basis of Northern mm-hmm. Ireland was really because it was Protestant.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I can tell you why. I mean, essentially Catholics are having more children than Protestants Mm. and uh, immigration from the uh, south to the north. And that's been going on for the last 10 years. And uh, uh, you can see it's pretty much uh, uh, the, you know, the population table has just turned right around and uh, the Catholics are on top right now.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting to see where that goes. So, we've got, uh, that finishes our news segment here. So, we're going to get to some questions (laughs) as soon as we roll them up here. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, I'm confused. I just watched an EWTN show that says Eastern Orthodox Church is in full communion with Rome and the Pope. I'm not sure which show they were talking about. I think they're confused. Mm, And that it's okay for a Roman Catholic to receive the Eucharist if they attend one of the Eastern Rite churches. See, I think they're... They're getting confused between oh, Eastern Right churches church. versus yeah. Orthodox Church. I think it's the confusion. Oh, okay, so yeah. they go on to say, I've heard consistently it. from priests in the Roman RITE WERE are prohibited from receiving communion at these churches, and they are separate from the Roman Church, and do, you, uh, and do not follow the Pope. Am I mistaken, confused in Canada? I think they were confused over the show and the understanding of Eastern Right churches that are in union with Rome yeah. and the Orthodox Church.
1: Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's exactly right. So, um, yeah, you have to distinguish between Orthodox churches, which are not in communion with Rome, so you might have the Russian Orthodox Church. Then you might have, uh, um, you know, the Coptic Church. Of course, you could have a Coptic Orthodox Church that would not be in communion with Rome, but you could have a Coptic Rite Uniate Church, mm. which would be in uh, communion with Rome. So when you say Eastern Rite. THAT GENERALLY REFERS TO A UNIATE CHURCH, ONE THAT'S IN UNION WITH ROME, SO IT WOULD BE, THEY WOULD HAVE THE COPTIC RITE AND THEY WOULD BE UNIATE, IN UNION WITH ROME, AND SO, YES, YOU CAN Mm -hmm. RECEIVE HOLY COMMUNION THERE. THE SAME THING, RIGHT, YOU COULD HAVE, um, YOU KNOW, BYZANTINE CHURCH, WHICH IS uh, um, A a UNIATE CHURCH, OR YOU COULD ALSO HAVE, uh, YOU KNOW, uh, GREEK ORTHODOX uh, CHURCHES, WHICH ARE NOT. Um, in right. union uh with Rome and so forth. So uh, we uh, this is a uh, very typical and there are a uh, you know several many uh orthodox churches, you know there's Russian rites, there's Ukrainian one uh, um, uh, uh, orthodox there's uh, you know uh, marionite mm-hmm. there's a uh, uh, Coptic there's uh, um, um, uh, the Malabar, there's yes, the you're on Malabar, uh, right. so there's there's uh, uh, yeah Greek uh, or Melkite, uh, uh, right. uh, Byzantine Melkite yeah. right exactly. So just remember, Orthodox means not in communion. If it's Uniate or it says Eastern Rite, mm-hmm. probably uh, that's a Uniate church which you can receive communion from because
0: they're in union with Rome. Right, exactly. And I think actually, I may be wrong, but I think. MY UNDERSTANDING IS THAT TECHNICALLY uh, THE CATHOLIC CHURCH WOULD SAY THAT THE Eucharist IN AN ORTHODOX CHURCH IS VALID AND YOU TECHNICALLY COULD RECEIVE IT, yeah. BUT THE ORTHODOX DON'T RECIPROCATE, AND SO AS A KIND OF LIKE uh, TO BE GOOD CITIZENS, WE DON'T DO THAT BECAUSE THEY DON'T RECOGNIZE yeah. IT THE OTHER WAY KIND OF A THING. SO, mm-hmm. ANYWAY. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. NEXT UP, ANOTHER QUESTION. DEAR FATHER SPITZER, SATAN HAS ACCOMPLISHED TWO BIG CULTURAL CHANGES IN recent years. Abortion Mm -hmm. has been more widely acceptable for years and now mutilation of so-called transgender children is becoming widely acceptable. What do you think is the next big evil practice that will be forced on us? How far can this go before Jesus says enough is enough? And this is from John.
1: Well, John, I have to tell you that um, um, right now Um, IF YOU uh, TAKE A LOOK AT um, uh, PHYSICIAN-ASSISTED SUICIDE MEASURES THAT ARE GOING ON THROUGHOUT THE UNITED STATES, THAT DEFINITELY IS IN ITS ascendancy. Uh, I THINK A LOT OF DIOCESES, uh, POLITICAL REGIONS IN THE U.S. ARE RESISTING IT. Mm -hmm. Uh, THE MAIN THING IS, uh, LIKE IN CALIFORNIA HERE, THOUGH, WE HAD AN OVERACTIVE LEGISLATURE THAT uh, SORT OF WENT BEHIND THE SCENES AND GOT IT. Um, you know, kind of pushed through, um, and uh, we just did not, um, we did not mount a successful uh, offensive, we just didn't have enough time to raise the funds to mount a successful campaign, uh, initiative campaign against it, but it was, um, if they had just tried to do that by initiative, I don't think it would have worked in California, because I worked here on the uh, I think it was at that time Initiative 1000 or something, um, and, uh, way back when, and uh, we did defeat mm-hmm. um, a physician-assisted suicide at that time. And um, now uh, the reason it passed was it, it went through, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes committees, and then mm-hmm. a quick vote, and this and that, and so with the political, um, uh, you know, machinery and chicanery, um, right. basically, <laughs> well, well, I right. think it. Uh, Oh, it was hidden right. I mean uh, until you know last minute and kablamma ama, you know there it is and so uh... Um, you know it's it's very hard to defeat once you've gotten it through and i think right. that was the intention of the people who did it but beware because that's coming down the pipe but as I said a lot of political reasons a lot of dioceses are resisting it right. um, and they're mounting good offenses uh, against it so that's um, that's uh, you know uh, something that's on the right. horizon for sure and I do see eugenics coming about mm-hmm. um, uh, it, it worries me a lot I, you know, Peter Singer looks extreme today mm-hmm. uh, when he is uh, advocating, honestly, uh, um, you know, basically a kind of, um, you know, a, a killing of post-born uh, uh, you know, born children, if I can put it that way. Right. Um, and so um, it's a not, I mean, it's an infanticide in the sense that they are out of the womb. And he, uh, right now, you look at it and you say, well, gee isn't that infanticide? Well technically it is infanticide right. uh, and, uh, and and of course uh, there have been several suggestions by several people that these babies be allowed to die in right. other words not killing them actively right. uh, as it, you would in an abortion but just sort of starving them uh, to death or something of that nature depriving them of love and uh, um, right. uh, necessarily necessary fluids, and including so, uh, so a recent so ex-governor of, these, of
0: Virginia, I think, who indicated at one point. Oh, in time, oh
1: yes, uh, he definitely that, advocated yeah, it. Yeah, right. Yep,
0: let him die. Yep, right. and so and, and didn't he's Singer not, used not the to only think, one. Didn't Singer talk about the parents mm-hmm. should have like three months to decide kind of whether this child oh, yeah. is going to work oh, out, yeah. but, and then we can you know, yeah. off him then, you know?
1: Oh, absolutely. And furthermore, uh, you know, he had all these various diseases listed, you know, if you're a hemophiliac, that's definitely, you got to be, you know, uh, uh, euthanized, you mm-hmm. know, a- outside the womb. you shouldn't let a baby. And then he included blind people. So I oh, thought, oh. oh, good. I got oh, included go. anyway yeah. in the eliminatable list. And so, you know, um, but, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, if uh, Singer had his way, uh, we would eliminate. Uh, I mean, we'd have a eugenics movement that parallel, uh, you know, uh, you know, unsurpassed by right. the rest of the world. So I'll uh, leave it at
0: that. Uh, right. I think it's and the um, other thing I was thinking about uh, while you were talking about the expansion of the euthanasia is that people tend to think about this as okay, Grandma has decided she wants to die. She's terminally ill, and so she's going to. You know, she's in her last stages and. So she's going to ex- expedite the process. But we know from the story we, we covered earlier this year up in Canada where mm-hmm. people are showing up to the doctor, you know, with basic issues or at a certain age yeah. and a being bit prompted of and kind and of uh, maybe mm-hmm. let me help you out the door here.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's been going on in Holland for years, right. uh, where the doctors have, uh, well, some doctors, not Catholic doctors, mm-hmm. but a lot of doctors have been actively involved in uh, pushing um, active euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only actively involved, um, you, know, you know, persuading people, but also kind of uh, persuading the relatives of the people to have them put mm-hmm. pressure on uh, the person to exit, uh, you know, nicely, take mm-hmm. the pills and go. And so, um, these kinds of things, so obviously, the Catholic Church has been definitely resisting it. I, mm-hmm. I've told, I think, the story on this program. Yes, I did tell a story, mm-hmm. uh, um, and pardon my repeating it, but um, of a lady who was a little bit upsetting uh, to the nursing home which she was living. Mm-hmm. Uh, she would sometimes, you know, uh, uh, be coarse with people uh, down the corridor or, or uh, would say things that were not nice and uh, instead of giving a little bit of sedation or something uh, to stop the, uh, the activity, uh, basically they decided it's time to move her out. Mm-hmm. Now she didn't ever consent to it, not at all. And then, um, for whatever reason, uh, when, the, um, when the physician was bringing in uh, the shot uh, filled with the sodium pentothal, whatever it was, I was bringing in the, uh, the shot there, um, uh, she looked at that uh, hypodermic needle and said, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. You know, and she started kicking and screaming and said, "You're trying to kill me! You're trying to kill me!" And just, the doctor was saying, "Calm down, calm down, it'll be okay." Mm-hmm. <laughs> she, the victim, was absolutely right. She was screaming and yelling, so the doctor couldn't, you know, kind of get her arm to put the injection in to kill her. So she goes outside, convinces the relatives of the the lady this lady has to die she's resisting my attempts to kill her why don't you come in and help me hold her down right. so <laughs> i can do the job right. so they come in and of course hold her down and they kill her against her will right. now this goes up before the dutch uh, medical examiners panel, and they say well that was wrong to do you shouldn't kill a patient WITHOUT HAVING CONSENT, YOU KNOW, um, THAT'S BAD. BUT THEY GAVE HER A SLAP ON THE WRIST AND and JUST BASICALLY SAID, YOU KNOW, uh, DON'T DO THAT ANYMORE. WE KNOW YOU WERE DOING IT IN GOOD FAITH. SO BECAUSE SHE, QUOTE, UNQUOTE, was said to be doing it in good faith how do you kill a person without their consent in good faith i mean what what kind of a medical panel is this how can this be patient representation i mean if this is what's going to happen and and don't think the netherlands are so far-fetched that we'll never get to that state here in the u.s where physician-assisted suicide has become legal i mean already the pressure is on insurance companies you know have told Patients, We will pay for your assisted suicide, but we're not going to pay for any kind of a remedy to your disease. It's just not covered in our policies anymore, but right. we will give you, uh, you right. know, um, assisted suicide. And then
0: they, so, uh, they well, lay uh, on uh-oh. the guilt yeah. trip about, well, you don't want to be, you yeah. know, you're going to use up all the money that you would have for your kids yeah. and your grandkids. Yeah. And you don't want to be That's a exactly burden right. for, on them. Yep. and ALL THOSE KINDS OF THINGS, RIGHT?
1: YEP. THAT BURDEN DOES NOT EXIST FOR ANYBODY EXCEPT IN A STATE THAT HAS ALREADY uh, PASSED ASSISTED SUICIDE. Mm -hmm. SO IF YOU'RE IN A STATE THAT HAS NOT PASSED ASSISTED SUICIDE AND YOU WANT TO HAVE MERCY ON THOSE PEOPLE, RIGHT, THE LAST THING YOU WANT TO DO IS PASS THIS BILL Mm -hmm. BECAUSE IT'S GOING TO CREATE A WHOLE NEW BURDEN FOR EVERY ELDERLY Mm -hmm. PERSON who you know anybody has a grievance against or anybody physicians included want escorted out the door mm-hmm. this is going to become a huge problem it's going to become a burden for them and that was you know when i was uh, combating assisted suicide in the state of washington and also in, here in california when I uh, was debating these people, uh, my byline was, you, you know, you're saying you're doing this so that people can have uh, the right to, uh, you know, quote-unquote, exit when they want right according to the means that they want so they should have this new freedom and I just said but you can't make one person's freedom into another person's burden to die Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what you're creating for this mass of elderly people or sick people or people with you know uh, um, uh, you know physical or mental um, uh, disabilities you can't make uh, you know a huge burden for all these people to die uh, in order to give yourself the freedom uh, you know to get drugs from your physician to kill yourself so I mean it's just the the Mm -hmm. whole thing is nonsensical it is very unnecessary and by the way you know I shouldn't even say this but if you want to kill yourself it's really easy uh, to do that with the drugs recommended on any one of a number of internet sites so I mean basically you know um, Why do we need physicians to prescribe these uh, kinds of things and lay this huge burden to die on this huge population of people? And corrupt. It's
0: terrible. Right, and corrupt uh, the medical industry even more so. Uh, Oh, yeah. You start down that path and uh, doing, you know, once you've done one, you can do ten. What's the difference? One more question before we take a break. Uh, Dear Father Spitzer, I recently had a terrible dream that demonic entities were attacking me. I could not move or speak. I tried calling on Jesus, Mary, and Saint Michael, but no one helped me. I had a similar dream a few months ago. I suffer much from these dreams, and I'm now wondering if I am possessed. My prayer life has greatly increased the past few years. Is Satan trying to discourage me? Gloria. Gloria, your your last comment is
1: correct. You're, first of all, your first comment is not correct. No. You are not possessed. No. Every single time a person tries to uh, improve their prayer life as you have, absolutely Satan wants to discourage you. Pay no attention. I give you the cure of ours, right? This is his uh, complete advice, right? Satan was constantly badgering that poor guy, constantly, you know, coming to him in the middle of the night, putting pressure on his chest, making his bed jump up and down, and you know, as he said, I just paid mm-hmm. no attention to it, and of course, I have my solution, you know. Uh, um, you know, obviously, Satan loves to bug me, um, you know, and mm-hmm. he's, he does. He, you know, there's, uh, you know, I'll. wait Wake up, and I'll feel that sense of emptiness, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and darkness that's you know surrounding me. And it's not because I'm possessed; it's because he is basically trying uh, to discourage me, or frighten me, or do something else. And I just simply go, in the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. In the name of Jesus, be gone, Satan. I just repeated IT about ten times, and of course, the whole thing subsides. There you go. He just can't stand it when you. Express your love and your trust in Jesus and use his name to make him go away. He just can't stand it. It's like you're one of those mosquito, um, you know, vibrator Mm. things that you put out on your patio, you know, where the vibration the mosquito hears and zings away. The name of
0: Jesus does that to Satan. Bug off. There you go. Father Spitzer, we're going to take a break. (laughs) Right. Much more ahead with Father Spitzer and some interesting answers to your questions. Stay with us. APPRECIATE YOU HANGING AROUND WITH US HERE in FATHER SPITZER'S UNIVERSE AS WE CONTINUE ON WITH YOUR QUESTIONS WITH FATHER SPITZER, uh, YOU READY? OKAY, LET'S GO. DEAR FATHER <laughs> SPITZER, GOD GAVE MAN DOMINION OVER THE ANIMALS. I'D ASSUME IT IS NOT A SIN TO KILL A SPIDER BECAUSE YOU'RE SCARED OR KILL A DEER FOR THE CHALLENGE OF THE HUNT. SO WHAT ABOUT KILLING A DOG OR A CAT BECAUSE YOU'RE SCARED OR NOT? IS IT MORTAL OR VENIAL? Where is the line drawn? Can one person's transgression be mortal and another person's transgression be venial for the exact same act? Michael. Well,
1: Michael, normally the differentiation between mortal and venial sin uh, really is is a matter of, um, you know, a grievous matter versus non-grievous matter. So it really, it's intentionality does not, um you know determine the gravity of the matter mm-hmm. now mortal sin it is true to say a mortal sin not only requires gravity of, of the ma- material thing that you're doing mm-hmm. right but it also requires uh, sufficient reflection and full consent of the will so um you know a lack of impediments to the free use of the will and sufficient reflection to, to know that this is wrong and, and uh, in this situation, it is wrong uh, to do that. Now, when you get down to dogs or cats, well, it depends on mm-hmm. what dog or what cat. So, I mean, obviously, when a, a person who is working at a dog pound um, you know, uh, puts um, some animals to death, um uh, you know obviously that's not a sinful practice uh if you know normally there is a good reason for doing that right some animals are in pain or something of that nature uh if somebody takes a, a rabbit dog before it attacks a human being and mm. shoots that dog there's nothing wrong uh with doing that so it all depends on the dog or the cat but to simply take uh, a dog or a cat that is apparently not doing anything, um, you know, uh, you know, wrong, and it's a domesticated dog or cat, and and, um, and you are, um, uh, uh, you know, it's not only not doing anything wrong, causing anything wrong, uh, but it's it's uh, obviously. Uh, domesticated it could be a good pet for somebody or something of that nature it's not in pain or something of that nature and you just kill it mm-hmm. I mean uh, I would say that that would yeah that that would not be right and uh, right. I'm, I'm not sure wh- whether that be grievous matter or not I've never studied the uh, uh the issue but it it certainly is not right it's 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 sinful matter, uh, whether it's grievous or not. I, I don't know. I'd have to actually have to look that one up. But I'll um, well, tell you one thing: purposes, if, if
0: you did that and that was somebody's yeah. pet, they would they would be in favor of the death penalty for you. I can tell you that if you killed somebody's. <laughs>
1: yeah. Maybe yeah. not for for yeah, people, that, but <laughs> they would be
0: uh, for killing their dog or yeah. a cat. They might be in favor of that. So, oh yeah. Anyway yeah don't uh, yeah, uh, no, stay away from killing more. people's dogs and cats. not a good idea, yeah that's especially right. in the south. I'll yeah. tell you <laughs> You don't get after anybody's dog. I'll tell you that that's big, you're in big trouble, okay. another question <laughs> okay <laughs> dear Father Spitzer, we believe God is all forgiving. If I were in a serious accident, and ask God to forgive me before I die, am I forgiven? If I ask God to forgive me during quiet prayer and then die in my sleep, will I be saved? If so why does one need to go to confession? I have been asked these questions while teaching CCD. I said under normal circumstances, we need to go to confession, even in exceptional cases, if the emergency passes, we need to go to confession afterward. Am I correct, Ed?
1: Yeah, Ed, you're correct. Right. Uh, that's it. Um, yeah, uh, Confession's the normal standard, but also the intentionality to go to confession. So let's suppose I think your first example was uh, that you died suddenly uh, and you said an act of contrition or something I forget uh, mm. how, how the scenario went but uh, if you uh, uh, if you know if that 's the case and you would have gone to confession, your intention was to go to confession, but suddenly the circumstance happens, and you uh, just say an act of contrition and you mean it as sincerely as you could with the intention of going to confession, yes, I do believe you will be saved, or at least you'll wind up in purgatory and then be saved. And wow. then secondly, um, I do think, um, you know, if you're prayerfully praying um, but, and, and you ask for uh, um, you know, forgiveness for your sins with the intention to go to confession, but you, uh, you when you're prayerfully, you know, there, uh, sincerely asking uh, for forgiveness for your sins, AND THEN YOU HAVE THE INTENTION TO GO TO CONFESSION. I THINK THAT IF YOU DIED IN Mm -hmm. YOUR SLEEP, I THINK WAS YOUR SCENARIO. YES, YOU WOULD BE SAVED. THAT'S Mm -hmm. WHAT I WOULD SAY.
0: OKAY. ONE MORE, I THINK, BEFORE WE GET TO THE BOOK. Uh, DEAR FATHER Mm -hmm. SPITZER, I'VE ALWAYS HAD A PROBLEM WITH THE TERM PERSONAL RELATIONSHIP WITH JESUS. THE TERM SEEMS VERY PROTESTANT. IT MEANS SOMETHING AMBIGUOUS TO ME. IT'S AS IF JESUS WERE MY IMAGINARY FRIEND AND I, IF WE HAVE A CONVERSATION, I NEED TO PLAY BOTH PARTS. Will you address this phrase from a Catholic point of view, Cassie?
1: Well, Cassie, uh, um, Catholics actually do hold to the idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. Teresa of Avila uh, actually, uses uh, St. Teresa of Avila uh, uses these words mm-hmm. uh, very clearly. And she says, basically, we should be conversing with our Lord as if he were a friend, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, uh, having, and that suggests a personal relationship, as if he were a friend. And, mm-hmm. and this kind of an intimate conversation, uh, that's all it means is that we're having a conversation with God where we're expressing sincere thanks for what we have been given, sincere forgiveness for the times when we've offended him, sincere love for him and for his creation of us. And and for all the the various things he's given to us but uh more than that just the, the praising of god mm-hmm. is incredibly personal uh so when we're kind of saying you know uh, that he is uh the rock of our lives or we're praying those psalms uh with such you know meaning and fervor i mean uh uh... I, it's very personal indeed mm-hmm. so i think um the, the term is okay mm-hmm. um, and like i said right. many saints they don't use the word personal but they surely use the word friend mm-hmm. or friendship or intimate or something along those lines and certainly saint ignatius uh... does that and mm-hmm. uh... is very clear that this is what he means so um yeah i would say it's it's uh... that's the 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 Catholic view, maybe substitute uh, friend or Mm. intimate or confidant or um, something, if that helps you. Uh, Mm. But um, uh, but that's basically what it means, and I think it's okay to use.
0: Okay, very good. Let's go to Mm -hmm. Satan's Tactics, The Deadly Sins, Part Mm 1. We were talking about vanity on page 300. You talk about the idea Mm -hmm. that uh, a second major way in which vanity undermines SOMEONE'S IS ITS WILLING ADHERENCE IS TO MAKE THEM BELIEVE THAT THE APPEARANCE OR THE FACADE IS THE IDENTITY IN WHICH PEOPLE ARE INTERESTED AND THE ONLY ONE THAT CAN BE SHOWN TO OTHERS IN THE EXTERNAL WORLD. SO THEY BUILD UP THIS FACADE Mm -hmm. AND THEN THEY COME TO BELIEVE THAT THEY'RE ONLY ACCEPTABLE BECAUSE OF THAT uh, FACADE, Then, RIGHT?
1: EXACTLY. AND THAT'S WHERE VANITY GETS ITS POWER OVER YOU. SO ONCE YOU CROSS THE LINE, AND YOU THINK THAT THE ONLY REASON PEOPLE LOVE YOU, RIGHT, YOU HAVE ABANDONED YOUR LOVABLE SELF AND YOU'VE NOW ONLY GOT YOUR ESTEEMABLE SELF LEFT, RIGHT? SO, YOU KNOW, BY THE TIME VANITY GETS ITS POWER OVER YOU, you know, you don't matter to, you think that you don't matter to people anymore. You think your friendship doesn't matter to people. You, you think that your, um, uh, your, your love for them or your presence with them or you, you know, the, your ability to help them, that's the kind of stuff that doesn't matter anymore, the personal stuff is not worth anything. What really matters to people is the esteemable self not the lovable relational self, right? So you basically begin to say, oh, okay, Um, what they're really interested in is the fact that, uh, whatever, I'm a good athlete, or I'm a good author, or I'm a good uh, speaker, or I'm a good something or another, right? Uh, And uh, I'm I'm a beautiful person, I appear well in public, right? Mm -hmm. So you're thinking, you know, that that's what why people really want to be around you now it's true to say that some people want to be around you for that reason no question Mm -hmm. but there are many many other people who just want you to be you Mm -hmm. who like you you who like your friendship who value your values who want to do things with you because they think that your presence is worthwhile mm-hmm. and so they value being around you and in your presence receiving your love receiving your uh, sense of support and and, and and so forth right so uh, you know maybe a grandmother mm-hmm. you know who who you know is getting up there you know she's not the the, the beautiful mm-hmm. you know uh, Bella the ball she used to be, and she doesn't have the energy she used to have, you watch those kids around that grandmother, because if she really loves them, and the kids know she loves them, they, she is everything to them. Mm. And she kind of knows that. And those kids give her, affirm her in her lovable self. She doesn't have to have any of the esteemable qualities—being no. the great piano player, tennis player, you know, you know, bell of the ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She doesn't have to have any of these things. Uh, she could just be a good, lovable, loving grandmother, and uh, you know that's enough. But the problem yeah. with vanity is it definitely takes that lovable self and cancels it and makes the esteemable self the appearances, right. the power, the talents, the honors. That's what people really like about me. Mm. I should cultivate that stuff and skip any of
0: that other stuff uh, you know with right. respect uh, to love. Well you, t- you talk about the facade and, and, and looks and you make the point that aging becomes a gradual suicide.
1: Oh yeah, yeah I mean some people You know, just to lose, you know, that edge, to get that wrinkle, uh, to get, you know, um, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, anything that would kind of cancel uh, my acceptability to the beautiful people in public, Mm -hmm. uh, that would be a a horrible thing indeed. And so they will uh, spend all kinds of money on. Well, you know, I live in the state of treatments to beautify yourself, right? I mean, there's so many names for things. I have no idea what they all are, but you can get them all done. And uh, I'm telling you, you can get, uh, uh, you know, beautiful in every imaginable way. So uh, and spend the money on clothes and jewelry and hang out with the, uh, you know, the, the spots where everybody, you know, who's a celebrity may come by and you can try and do this on an endless basis and mm-hmm. spend as much money as you possibly can on getting this thing done but I hate to tell you this eventually even you know as you know you know botoxing yourself to death <laughs> it's going to be visible right. it's going to happen aging's going to manifest itself You're gonna have those little senior moments. You're gonna have those slip-ups. You know, there's gonna be times, you know, you're not gonna be as spry as you were. You're not gonna be as energetic as you were. And I hate to say this, but one day you're gonna die. And one thing about dead people is they don't have all the talents that they used to have here on Earth. They've got them up in heaven. And so the one thought I really have Is you know vanity is so destructive, because you can't keep it, Mm -hmm. you can't keep the facade, and that's why you know I took that Sunset Boulevard uh, one because you know you can see um, that uh, poor old um, Norma Desmond. uh, Right, Norma
0: Desmond. Yeah, she,
1: yep, she basically believes that nothing has changed. Right. Of course 40 years have elapsed since she was really the belle of the ball and you know after she's murdered this guy who actually challenged her view of herself, mm-hmm. uh, this reporter who kind of yeah. you know was uh, living in her house and kind of feeding her ego and her false uh, you know image mm-hmm. that she had, you know the facade she'd created you know basically after all of that you know he challenges her, she kills him and then she thinks, as the police are coming into her into her house, she's coming down for um, you know her cameo, and so she says, right. "Here I am, Mr. Demille, you know, ready for my cameo or whatever yeah, my close the line up, was." My close she's coming up. down the stairs. I'm ready my for close my close-up.
0: Up. Right. That's right. That's how it ends with her walking yeah, towards yeah. the camera, right, exactly. Gloria Swanson. Right, with right.
1: all the police down below, <laughs> yeah.
0: That's right. And and Eric von Stroheim as Max, the famous silent film director. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, who, it turns yeah, out, was oh, her yeah. husband. And, you know, and she, he was his yeah. butler now, but he had been her husband, so, and her yeah. director. So. That's right.
1: But that's he was right. the one keeping right. the world alive course,
0: for her, right.
1: That's right, and he did, and so... Uh, Of course, once this reporter had, you know, fallen out of uh, favor, you know, uh, and was going to bust her myth, you know, uh, yike, he had to go. Right, William uh, Holden, in the pool.
0: Right, that's right. That's right. Right. That's right. That's right, right. William Holden. Exactly, (laughs) right. So you also make the point here, I thought this was interesting, regrettably, the victim of vanity frequently rejects real love because it makes the lover an equal. How so? Well, um, you
1: know, um, if, if you, uh, you know, are going to really love another human being, in, in a way you have to see them as not, only a, a, not necessarily an equal in talent, they may not be equal in talent. And maybe they're not an equal in athletic ability or an equal in whatever, uh, you know, intelligence or, you know, speaking ability or whatever. They may not be equal there, But they are equal in terms of their preciousness of their humanity, in terms of their soul, in terms of their transcendental identity. And everybody has their gifts. Some people express the gift of compassion which some people with, you know, maybe speaking talents or intellectual mm. talents not, don't have that gift. Some people have the gift of empathy, right, you know, uh, uh, and they just, you know, like Joan, she picks up any baby who's screaming <laughs> and the baby just calms down immediately, mm. you know, and uh, I've just never seen anything like it. I pick up a baby who's screaming, they scream louder. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it's, it's like, you know, people, there is something, you know, that You know, everybody's got uh, various kinds of gifts, and all of these gifts are, you know, integrated into this transcendent soul uh, that that desires perfect truth, love, goodness, beauty, and home, and above all, that desires and knows God. And even, you know, the people who have just the most, you know, uh, severe mental challenges, those people still have an awareness of God. And, And, you know, this is what... You know, people who have, you know, long proposed euthanasia, I remember uh, these two uh, German uh, uh, physicians, um, you know, they they were, you know, they kind of accidentally ran across a phenomenon called terminal lucidity, Mm -hmm. and they had not known it before. But terminal lucidity is when about one hour before death, but sometimes an entire day before death, as someone is approaching death, suddenly you know they may have been had a mental disability their entire lives they may have had an IQ less than 50 throughout their entire lives they may have only been capable of animal sounds and you might have thought you know oh this person Uh, you know is so you know debilitated there's you know nothing left in them that's human Mm -hmm. but alas there is something in them that is human and and of course what these two German physicians they found out I forget what their names were done but they we have their published account of this uh, um, uh, one uh, Anna Um, uh, I FORGET WHAT HER LAST NAME WAS, BUT um, THEY'RE LOOKING AT THIS WOMAN WHO IS ONLY CAPABLE OF ANIMAL SOUNDS AND JUST, YOU KNOW, STICKING HER FACE INTO THE FOOD AND SO forth AND SO ON AND SCREAMING AND YELLING AND THEN ONE HOUR BEFORE DEATH OR TWO HOURS BEFORE DEATH SUDDENLY SHE AWAKES. AND SHE'S LITERALLY SINGING SPIRITUAL SONGS, mm. BECOMING, YOU KNOW, uh, FULLY HUMAN. I KNOW CLEARLY AN AWARENESS OF GOD, AN AWARENESS, TOO, OF HER NEED FOR HER OWN REDEMPTION. SHE'S SINGING THESE, uh, YOU KNOW, SPIRITUAL SONGS, uh, LIKE SHE KNOWS THEM. Uh, I MEAN, LIKE SHE CAN RECOUNT THEM. SHE, YOU KNOW, and, AND SO FORTH. AND SO THESE TWO GERMAN PHYSICIANS ARE SO SHOCKED, RIGHT? THEY SAID, NEVER, NEVER, NEVER WILL I EVER THINK OF EUTHANASIA EVER AGAIN. Mm-hmm. it is absolutely incomprehensibly immoral uh, you know out of the question uh, you know uh, you know uh, uh, incontrovertibly mm-hmm. excuse me out of the question mm-hmm. and, and it's so immoral that that uh, um, you can see that every single human being even if they don't manifest any sense of humanity every single human being has that capacity for uh, you know intelligence and spiritual life and the transcendentals right mm-hmm. the desire to be good and the desire for love and empathy and that's strictly human sense it's all there it may be underneath and the brain functions are not there to sustain mm-hmm. the verbal acuity to express that well but at the very at the same time. This person, that soul is active. It is there. Right. And one to two hours before death, it just comes out. And people who have had, you know, have suffered from Alzheimer's, had absolutely, you know, amyloid plaques throughout the brain, have no capacity, uh, you know, to express even a verbal sound intelligibly, uh, you know, in, in the last five to six years. And suddenly, an hour or two before death, they come up and, hey, you know, Doug, i, I got to plan my funeral here. Mm-hmm. And if you could just help me out, um, I, I need to also plan my will. I didn't get this done, you know, while I was there. And by the way, I heard this person. And, you know, I, I, I've been in contact with God. And these people are talking, these, these physicians are looking at him. You know, this one guy, Tanzi from Harvard, he's, he's mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know how they're doing this. Uh, but they clearly they are doing it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it in some way that is not explicable in terms of physical process he's in the brain, Mm -hmm. and that's why, um, you know, uh, uh, Lorber and and uh, Lewin uh, actually declared in the name of their article when they were looking at uh, hydrocephalic uh, people with genius IQs, they said, "Is the brain really necessary?" That's what they said because the soul is doing all the thinking. The soul is doing the loving. The soul is doing the uh, um, you know transcendental relationship with God. The soul is actually thinking morally, even if the brain is incapable of communicating it. Even if the brain is incapable of even communicating you know an animal sound it's still that soul is there you have to respect it euthanasia in any respect is a terrible thing indeed and uh, you know um, I think these uh, you know uh, this uh, um, uh, particular case but many many cases um, you know of of, uh, physicians discovering this really puts a whole new
0: shine on the human person the other point you make and we only got about a, a minute and a half but and we'll pick this up next, next time, but the idea of the mm-hmm. third part is that comparative thing, where the third major way in which Vanity yeah. undermines is the willing adherents to immerse themselves in negative emotions, which you call a comparison game
1: yeah right exactly so I mean the the problem with vanity is if everything doesn't go perfectly well and everything can't go perfectly well because we're not perfect And, and if that's the case then what happens is you see people who are just mired in emptiness fear fear of loss of esteem, inferiority, superiority that's followed by contempt and loneliness, ego rage, ego blame, dread, self-pity, right? You know, it's just, it's a terrible thing. Jealousy, every kind of, you know, imaginable negative emotion. And it's coming right out of this comparison game. And if you're playing the game, IF YOU THINK THAT ALL THAT REALLY MATTERS IN LIFE IS HAVING EGO COMPARATIVE ADVANTAGE AND YOU'RE IN THE GAME, YOU CAN EXPECT THAT THINGS WILL NEVER GO PERFECTLY, THAT YOU'LL NEVER BE ABLE TO KEEP UP THE FACADE PERFECTLY 24-7. AND IF THAT'S THE CASE, YOU CAN FULLY expect, EXPECT DEPRESSION, FEAR, emptiness, inferiority, you know, rage, anger, contempt, loneliness, etc. You can expect it, and you can expect it even on a cosmic level, and that's why vain people are so often, not just depressed and anxious, mm-hmm. as we see our younger people who are mired in Instagram, right. just the depression, anxiety, just going right through the ceiling. But uh, we, we just see it. Uh, vanity vanity stands at the center of that, and remember that movie, The Devil's Advocate, where right. Al Pacino is playing the devil. At the end of the thing, you know, the guy actually comes to his senses, and he, he doesn't actually do the immoral thing mm-hmm. uh, that um, Pacino is tempted to do. And he's feeling himself. Heroic about his virtue as he's coming out of the bathroom. And Al Pacino goes, he, he, he,
0: Vanity, my favorite. There sin. you go. Absolutely. And that's the end of the movie. Right. Bonfire of the Vanities, that's another one. So uh, let's, uh, yeah, no, if you would, great one. Uh, you, you could give us your blessing on the way out the door. That'd be great. Oh, perfect. And bow your heads
1: and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord of all consolation, the Lord of all humility and gentleness, the Lord of all lowliness that has put himself into the human condition and into pain and death for our sake and for our example, may he bless you with those same virtues to counteract the deadly sins and to bring bring you into the fullness of joy in the name of the Father
0: and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spitzer. Be well. We shall see you next week when we once more enter your universe. And don't forget that Father Spitzer's books and videos are available through our EW10 Religious Catalog. Next week, we'll continue with the deadly sins, vanity, and uh, its impact on the culture today, as Father alluded to. EW10's bookmark, Walking the Way of the Cross for Caregivers, How to Cope Practically, Emotionally, and Spiritually when your loved one is seriously ill, a very powerful book by a good friend of ours, Michelle Johnson here at EWTN. Check that out. And uh, also we've got Living the Christian Way. Father James Kirby examines current issues such as abortion and immigration and what the church teaches on these issues. It's a new mini-series running Monday through Friday, the 14th through the 18th at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. I'm Doug Kack, Thank you for joining us here in Father Spitzer's Universe. Until we meet again. Thanks.